KMTT, Kimitzion Teitze Torah. Listening to the Arab Shabbat program, Yud Aleph Shvat, Arab Shabbat Kodesh, Parshat Beshalach. And the Arab Shabbat program is Lilui Nishmat Shlomo Yosef Ben Chaim Shmuel Finkelstein. I am back after being sick last week. We discussed on Parshat Shmot and Parshat Vaera the the difficulty of picking ourselves up out of uh, the dark situations. We spoke about the winter being time where people are sick, a little bit more depressed, it's a little bit more dark, and indeed uh, last week I was bedridden, and thank God uh, I am no longer bedridden, and uh, I am back at the Arab Shabbat program, still a little bit with a cold, but who doesn't have a cold in the middle of the winter? Um, This week's Arab Shabbat program, as uh, we are at Parshat B'Shalach, we'll be inter- we will be investigating an interesting idea, notion, that we are all familiar with. If uh, we ask... Oh, just one more one more mention before we get started. Parshat B'Shalach is uh, my grandfather's Bar Mitzvah Parsha, Eliyahu Snobel, Zichron Ali Racha, and so we'll mention him in that vein as well. Um, Parshat B'Shalach... Um, in between it, in, in between the lines, raises a very famous issue that we're all familiar with, but I'm not sure how familiar we are completely with the issue. Um, if I ask the average person on the street, why is it that we say halal on Pesach for only one day, only the first day, but the last six days of halal we don't, M- m- most times, people will quote the Mishnah Brura, who tells us that we don't say halal the last six days of Pesach because we can't say a full halal. In other words, not saying halal means saying a half halal. We can't say a full halal on Shvi Shel Pesach because bin you can't be happy that the drowning of the Egyptians... And therefore, we can't say a full halal on the seventh day of Pesach. And since we can't say a full halal on the seventh day of Pesach, which is a Yom Tov, we can certainly not say we can we cannot say a, a full halal on Cholamoid and give Cholamoid more just uh, a greater importance than than a day of Yom Tov. This is what's well known. Uh, the Mishnah Bura is. A surprising Mishnah Bura, because the Gemara asks this question in Masachat Erchin, and the Gemara gives an answer. The answer the Gemara gives is that, as opposed to Sukkot, where each day there's a different korban, and therefore each day demands a separate halal shalem, Pesach has the same korban throughout the seven days of Pesach, as we say when we lay in the maftir during Pesach, Ka'ele. Like this, you should do for seven days. Every day of Pesach has the same korban, therefore it's one continuous ketusha throughout Pesach, and therefore it demands only one halal shalem. And then, what we're saying the last six days is a halal, chazi halal without a bracha, <coughs> oh, sorry, a chazi halal with a bracha according to Ashkenazim, without a bracha according to Sfaradim, but it's not really a halal that we're chayavin, it's a halal because of the minhag, because of the custom to say halal over Yom Tov. So, in that sense, the Mishnah Bura is surprising. That Why does the Mishnah Bura go for some answer that's not explicit? It's a 
alluded to in a certain Midrashim, but certainly not vis-a-vis the question of Halal, when there is an explicit Gemara that discusses this issue. And it gives a different answer altogether. But beyond that, I think the, 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 the Midrash upon which the Mishnah Bura is based is one which demands looking into. This is a Midrash which um, comes up in several places in Shas, in the name of Rabbi Yochanan. It's regarding a Pasuk in Divrei Yamim, where at the outset of going out to battle, in which they've been promised victory, B'nai Israel, in the time of Yehoshaphat, the king of Judah, head out, and they already, as they were promised by the Navi victory, they're heading out singing and rejoicing God. But they rejoice God in, in the following way. They say, Hodula Hashem ki le'olam chasdo. And Rabbi Yochanan notices, this, this Rabbi Yochanan is mentioned in Megillah Daf Yudah but it's in other places in Shas as well. Hodula Hashem ki le'olam chasdo is omitting what we are used to saying in the Halal. Hodula Hashem ki tov ki le'olam chasdo. Why does it not say Kitov? Why are the words Kitov omitted? And Rabbi Yochanan answers, And Rabbi Yochanan answers, Because Kadosh Baruch Hu is not happy when Rishaim fall. And... And therefore, the, the Hoda'ah is an incomplete Hoda'ah. We can't say Hodula Hashem Kitov. We can only say Hodula Hashem. We've, we're saved, but there has been Mapal Tanshal Rishaim, and therefore we can't say a full Hoda'ah. And that's how Rabbi Yochanan explains that Pasuk in that story. And Rabbi Yochanan continues in this vein. And this already brings us to our Parsha. A pasuk in our parsha, below karav zel ze kol alayla, bikshu malachei asharet lo marshira. The malachim requested to say a to to sing a song. Amar kadosh baruch hu maaseh adai tovin bayam veatem omrim shira, and kadosh baruch hu answered them, my the 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 creations of my hand are drowning in the sea, and you are saying a song. And therefore, God does not allow them to sing a song. Kadosh Baruch Hu is not happy when Rishaim fall. And therefore, <clears throat> the Mishnah Bura takes us one step forward that we too do not say a full halal on the seventh day of Pesach, and as a result, during Chol Moed, because, because Now, the fact that Kadosh Baruch Hu is not Samech Mepapaltan Shal Rishayim, and he takes away the opportunity from the Malachim for saying Shira, might not necessarily extend to us. Perhaps we, being the people who are being saved, we are obliged to say a full-fledged Shira. And so the first answer to that is no. Rabbi Yochanan's initial statement is about B'nai Israel in the time of Yehoshaphat saying, Hodula Hashem ki le'olam chazdo. They themselves are holding themselves back in their Shira. And furthermore, the Mishnah Bura in that place, he quotes the famous pasuk in in Divrei uh, Yamim, in pardon me, in Mishlei, Bin Pol Oivecha Al Tismach. In Mishlei, Perak Haftalad Pasuk Yudzain, Bin Pol Oivecha Al Tismach. And 
This phrase, bin tismach, is so famous because it also got into Pirkei Avot. In fact, it's a very unusual Mishnah in Pirkei Avot. It just says, Shmuel HaKatan Omer bin tismach. As if Shmuel HaKatan forged this statement with his own, with his own mouth, no, Shmuel HaKatan took a pasuk from Sefer Mishlei, and he made it into an ideology. And therefore, we're not happy when our enemies fall. And this, on the most basic level, leaves us with many question marks. The first and most basic question is, how is that humanly possible? I can understand if we would have taken the second part of the Midrash of Rabbi Yochanan and said, look, the Malachi Sharet, they have no... They have no uh, involvement in what's going on. Their lives are not in danger, and therefore they have, there's no room for them to be happy when Mirushayim are being destroyed. They weren't saved. But human beings, we're being saved. How can we not rejoice? How can we hold back in our rejoicing? Is our holding back in our rejoicing not ungrateful, ungrateful to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, HaKadosh Baruch Hu saving, saving us and destroying the Rishayim who are trying to kill us, and we're saying, oh, we're not so happy because the Rishayim died. Is that appropriate? Is that human? Furthermore, there's another Pasuk in Mishlei, in Mishlei Perak Yudal of Pasuk Yud, it says, Ba'avod Rishayim Rina, at the destruction of Rishayim, rejoice. <coughs> How does, how does this work? How does this make any sense? When we left Mitzrayim, was there not the destruction of B'nai Israel, the destruction of the firstborns of Egyptians when B'nai Israel left Mitzrayim? How does a human being not rejoice when his enemies are destroyed? Did B'nai Israel not sing Shirat Hayam after Kriyat Yamsuf? But the Mitzrayim were drowning in the sea. How did they say Shira? Did they hold themselves back in Shira Tayam? It doesn't appear to be so. There's a different Midrash. There's a parallel Midrash to this Midrash that we read now from Asachat Megillah about the Malachi Asharet not saying Shira because my, the creations of my hand are drowning at sea. There's a Midrash in Shmot Rabbah. Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Bikshu HaMalachim Lomar Shira Lifnei HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Be'oto HaLayla Sharu Yisrael HaTayam, Ve'lohi Nicham HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The Malachim requests, again Rabbi Yochanan, the same Rabbi Yochanan, very different however. The Malachim requested to say, to say a song in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu that night that B'nai Yisrael were crossing the sea. Ve'lohi Nicham HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu did not allow them. Amar Leh, Amar lahem. He said to them, My legions are in the middle of a, a difficult problem, and you are going to say in front of me, Shira, my legions. My legions is not referring to the Egyptians. And no one is being described as drowning, Rather, they are in distress. Netunim batzara, they are in distress. Ben Israel, the night of Kriyat Yamsuf, are certainly in distress. Before crossing the sea, while they are crossing the sea, that night, they are indeed in distress. And at that point for the Malachim, to say, 
a shira is inappropriate. What's there to say shira? They are in the middle of a they are in the middle of a problem. The problem has yet to be solved. Is that the time to be saying a shira? This is come from the pasuk. Again, the same pasuk that we read in the previous midrash, but we haven't commented on that yet. Before Kriyat Yamsuf, we read that. Bef- Once again, I stress before Kriyat Yamsuf that the Malach Elohim and the Anan come between the camp of Mitzrayim and, B'nai- and Israel. And presumably the two camps did not come next near each other, or the 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 Anan and the Neish didn't come near each other. But the Midrash makes takes a play on the words here. is a play on We are all familiar from the Kedusha, which is from Sefer Yeshayahu. That the Malachim called to each other, Vekara Zel Zeviamar, Kadosh 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 Hashem Tzvakot Melochala Arts Kivodo. And here, the Pasuk is saying, Velokarav Zel Zekol Halayla. Slight play on the word, Karat Karav, Velokarav Zel Zekol Halayla. The Malachim did not call out to each other the entire night. Though they normally rejo- pra- praise God, on this night they held back. Now again, I stress that this pasuk is not said during Kriyat Yamsuf or after Kriyat Yamsuf, but before Kriyat Yamsuf. Before the Egyptians are in any trouble, the Egyptians are chasing B'nai Israel right now. B'nai Israel are in trouble, they are in distress. And at this point, the Malachim who want to say their regular Shira in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, HaKadosh Baruch Hu stops them and says, No, my legions are in distress, you cannot say Shira. And then afterwards the Midrash goes on. When B'nai Israel came out of the sea, So now the Malachim wanted to come and say their Shira in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They were held back before B'nai Israel were in trouble. Now they want to sing. HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't stop them entirely. He says, First my son should go first. It doesn't say he sang in the past tense, but rather in the future tense. God said, no, I want them to sing first in the future tense. They should sing before the Malachim. So in this Midrash, a completely different story. Kadosh Baruch Hu is concerned not with Mitzrayim's suffering, drowning, but with B'nai Israel's uh, problem. He's holding the Malachim back from singing while B'nai Israel are in distress. And at the end, not only do the Malachim, not only do B'nai Israel sing, but the Malachim sing too, but only after B'nai Israel. It appears that there are two schools of thought on this matter, and in, in the Torah Shlema, we read he takes on this uh, on this pasuk Velokarav Zel There's a long page there where he discusses the the machloket between these midrashim. I happen to believe on a personal level, the second midrash is more believable. Also, as far as an evaluation of the pasukim, as we've pointed out, the pasuk is not said 
after, while, Bnei, uh, while the Egyptians are drowning, but before anything has even happened, that Bnei Israel are only in distress at this point. I think it is a, a more human relation to being saved. When you're saved, you rejoice, you thank God, you're happy that the Rishayim are destroyed. Could anybody be sad or, or hold back their simcha when the Nazis were destroyed? How can you hold one? How can you hold your simcha back? And and finally, we asked also bin tismach. I think there is an alternate. Time doesn't allow me, but I think there's an alternate read of the psukim as well. Bin tismach is not talking about arasha. It's talking about our individual enemies. We have enemies. We have people who we compete with. We shouldn't be happy when those our competitors fall because God might see one day and decide to turn the tables on us. God is not going to turn the tables, hopefully, against Rishayim. God is interested in the destruction of Rishayim as well. Ba'avod Rishayim Rina, as we pointed to. Again, one who's interested in looking further into this um, can, can look in the Psukim in Mishlei, Perak Hafdalad, Psukim Yudzayin Yudchet, take a look around there, and see if indeed it's so clear that bin poli vechal tismach means we are not happy when rishaim who are trying to destroy us die, but rather something a little bit more minimal than that. In any case, at this point, I've spoken already a little bit too much. We're going to take a break from listening to me, and we're going to hear Rav Tavori. This week is the yard site of the Pnei Hoshua. Rabbi Yaakov Yoshua Folk, who was Nifter on Yud Dalet Shvat in the year 1756. He was born in Krakow in 1680 into a rabbinic family. His grandfather wrote a famous sefer at that time called Magine Shlomo. As was the custom in Poland, he learned in various Polish yeshivas and was married at a fairly young age, was appointed to be in charge of the local base medrash, and really was in charge of the chinuch, of the education, in the town of his father-in-law, who was apparently a wealthy person. And in 1702, that means when the Pnei Yoshua, Rabbi Yaakov Yoshua, was 22 years old, there was a tragedy in his life. There was an explosion in the house and his entire family was killed. His wife, his daughter, his father-in-law, and he himself was in a very difficult position during the explosion and he was almost critical. He had to find a way out of this building that's probably collapsed and as we remember from Yaakov Avinu, when he said, Yaakov said, if HaKadosh Baruch Hu will protect me at this moment, and therefore he promised to HaKadosh Baruch Hu what he would do in the future, the Pnei Yoshua said that if indeed HaKadosh Baruch Hu saves him from this disaster, he will devote his life to learning Torah, Lishma. He was miraculously saved, obviously, and he became a Rav 
in many small communities until 1717, when he was 37 years old, he was appointed, appointed Rav in Lemberg. The Lemberg was the city where the Chacham Tzvi had been the Rav before him, and that was already a rather prestigious position, which he kept for 13 years. At that time, the Shabtai Tzvi disputation, the arguments, were go- going on in Europe, and the Pnei Yeshua took a very strong stand. Apparently, he was sort of chased out of Lemberg, and again, he wandered to different communities as the Rav of different communities. He went to Berlin, where he was for a short time. He went to Metz. Eventually, he went to Frankfurt. While he was in Metz, he began to write his classic sefer, Pnei Yoshua. It came out piecemeal. The volume on Gitten Kedushin came out first, and later on, years le- other volumes came out. The last volume was published posthumously. When he went to Frankfurt, so there was at that time the famous Machlokas between Rabbi Yaakov Emdin and Rabbi Yonas Nebschitz. The Bnei Yeshua took a very strong position, and again, he was embroiled in the controversy, and he did not find happiness in one job and had to go from one place to another. He met the Chidah, the Chaim Yosef David Azulai, who wrote the classic Sefer, Shem Agdolim, where he discusses uh, the people and books of that of in Jewish literature that he knew about. And the Pnei Yeshua praised him very highly. You can see in the Sefer Shem Agdolim, under the Pnei Yeshua, some excessive comments by the Chidah about the Pnei Yeshua. When he was Nifter, the Pnei Yeshua was Nifter in the year 1756. He had instructed that no Hespedin be given. But there was a Hesped given by perhaps the leading postsek of that generation, the Noda Bihuda. Although his rabbinic career seems to have been fraught with d- disputations, fights, arguments, and indeed he was rabbi in many, many communities, his fame is not because of his rabbinus at all. The fame is because the name the Pnei Yoshua still resounds in the yeshiva world. An interesting uh, observation can be made about the Pnei Yoshua in light of the derech that has been propagated in the yeshivas for the last uh, almost uh, 70, 80 years. Since Reb Chaim's revolution in Torah created a situation where many yeshivas, the Litvish yeshivas for sure, learned the Bisker derech, it seems that the Pnei Yoshua is not as well used as it once was. The Chazonish already bemoaned the fact that certain Svarim, which were classic in the yeshiva world, had been somewhat ignored, or even if we would not use the extreme word ignored, but not 
given the same attention as they were given earlier. Uh, the Chazonish was referring to the Maharsha specifically, but uh, perhaps the Pnei Yeshua would be included in the group of Svarim that somehow is not learned as much as it once was. And in fact, a comment was made by uh, great Rosh Hashiva that the Pnei Yeshua is almost con- to be considered a half a Sefer. What he meant by that was that there are many questions in the Pnei Yeshua that were raised, that are extremely thought-provocative and very important questions. Not always did the people who studied this new derech appreciate the answers of the Pnei Yeshua, and very often they argued and suggested their own approach to the Sudya. In a certain sense, this shows the importance of the Pnei Yeshua until this very day. The Pnei Yeshua in, writes in his introduction to the Pnei Yeshua, what was his purpose in writing the Sefer. He said that he really wanted to learn Rashi and Tosfus. Very often, he wanted to explain Tosfus' questions on Rashi and explain how Rashi could learn. But he said that his main purpose was to cause the Tamit Chacham to think more deeply, to bring about a more profound analysis on the part of those who already know how to arrive at halachic decisions. This quote of the Rei Yoshua does somehow resound yet today in all yeshivas. The Pnei Yoshua very often is used as a springboard to create one's own chidushim and to explain how to answer the kasha, or to argue with the points of the Pnei Yoshua. The best way to commemorate a Godel like the Pnei Yoshua would be actually to say over some Torah, to recite, to repeat some of the famous Torah of the Pnei Yoshua. The Gemara in Bavakama at the end of the first parak says that when you talk about covered Gadol to do to a, a Nifter, when you want to show the extreme respect of Kavod Gadol for a for a, a person who passed away, Yeshiva The best thing to do would be to build a Yeshiva on his grave. It means to say Torah in his memory and his honor. And of course the greatest Kavod would be to say the person's Torah himself. And then you would say of Davos Bakever, his his lips, as it were, are still speaking Torah. There is so much in the Pnei Yoshua that a person can quote and say, I'd like to relate to two famous ideas of the Pnei Yoshua, partly because I'm involved in them right now, and the Shia that I have uh, in right now, I discussed recently two different questions of the Pnei Yoshua. One is in the Gemara and Ksubis Tafyud Beis, the Gemara discusses the concept of Bari Vishema. One person who claims that he's sure, he's confident, he knows, and another person says, I'm not sure. So, Bari Vishema, the Gemara says, Bari Yadif, since the person claims that he's confident, he's sure, he knows, his claim takes precedence over the person who is unsure. So Pnei Yeshua asked the world-famous question. 
in Hashavas Aveda, when we return lost objects. So the Gemara says that you have to ask for simanim. The person who found the Aveda, the person found the lost object, so he announces that he found, let's say, a wallet. So somebody comes over to him and says, oh, I recognize that wallet, that's mine. Perhaps he recognized it through the sign that we call Tviyas Ayin. He recognized it, he said it's his. So the owner of the person who found the wallet then asks him, okay, so there's a piece of paper or some identifying sign in the wallet. What is that identifying piece of information? At this point, if the person claims that he knows and he gives what we call Simanim, he gets the Aveda. But if he doesn't know the Simanim, he doesn't get the Aveda. The owner, the finder, keeps the Aveda in his possession until someone else comes along who knows the Simanim. He asks the Paneo Shua, why don't we say, Bari Vishema, Bari Yadif? The person who found it, he certainly doesn't know to whom it belongs. When he said to the person that claimed it, tell me the Simanim, he's not saying it's definitely not yours. He said, I don't know if it's yours or not, but I'd like you to try to prove it. So he, the finder, is a Shema. The person who claims that he found it, that it's his, that he lost it, so he's a Bari. He says, that's definitely mine. Why don't we say Bari Vashem or Bari Yadif? So Pnei Yeshua raises the question of the relative values of Bari Vashem. When a person says Bari, it, part of the credence of his claim of Bari is because he knows he could be contradicted. Since he could be contradicted and he says Bari, he, as it were, puts his reputation on the line. The person who claims Shema also has a, another disadvantage. Besides the fact that he says Shema, he should know better. Generally, a person says, I don't know what happened to my object, or I don't know what happened in this particular case. In the Gemara, the phrase would be, he should know. In this case, Shema is, is a very weak claim because he just should have known. And the fact that he doesn't know, or he claims he doesn't know, somehow weakens his position. So Pnei Yeshua said that is true in most cases. But there are cases when there is a Bari Gorua and a Shema Tov. Sometimes there's a case where the, the Bari, the, the claim of being sure, is not such a, a good claim. The person who claims he lost it, he can claim whatever he wants. He knows that the, the person who found it cannot contradict him. He's not afraid of being contradicted, so therefore let him claim whatever he wants. He says, that's a Bari Garua. The person who claimed, maybe it's not yours, that's a Shema Tov. That's a, a special uh, claim that the finder has because he, there's no way he should know He's not at all responsible for saying maybe, and he should have known better. He couldn't have known better. He found an object. So the Pnei Yeshua gives this big chiddush that a bari garua and a shema tov. You don't say bari v'shema bari yadif. In such a case, you would say that the shema is stronger than this weak bari. This chiddush, of course, of the Pnei Yeshua has been a, a debate in many betay medrash. Is there really a difference between a one type of a bari, another type of a bari, one type of a shema, another type of shema. And therefore, many other answers have been suggested. For example, uh, an answer has been suggested that 
in Hashavas Aveda, really, we would say Bari Vishema Bari Yadif. We really would have given it to the person who claimed he found it. Except for the fact that the Torah says, Adrosha The Torah told us that you must check more carefully. Darshayu, the Gemara in Bav Darshayu, there's a mitzvah on the, on the person who found it to be more exact, more precise than the halacha would have required if not for the Gzer Sarkasva Droshachicha also. So this whole discussion was prompted by the Pana Yeshua, what is Bari Vashema, and therefore it still resounds. His work still resounds in the Yeshiva world. Another classic example where the Pana Yeshua is still well known is his exposition of the Machlokas of Safik Daraisa. The Rambam says, Savik Daraisa Luchumra is only Midrabanan, and the Rajba and others say, Savik Daraisa Luchumra is Midaraisa. The Pnei Yeshua used this argument to explain why Safik the Rabbanan Lakula. And he proposed the argument that according to the Rambam, every Safik the Rabbanan is in fact a, 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 a double the Rabbanan, because Midaraisa, it would be Mutter anyway. So it's a Suffolk de Rabbanan. A Suffolk de Rabbanan, as, I'm sorry, he explained why a Sveik, I'm sorry, he explained why a Sveik Sveik is mutter. Because a Sveik Sveik, according to Ramam, is actually a Suffolk de Rabbanan. One Suffolk de Raisa is a Suffolk, is a Din de Rabbanan. A Suffolk de Rabbanan, another Suffolk would make it into a Sveik Sveik, which would be mutter. He explained that the Rajba would explain that a Sveik Sveik is mutter because of Rove. Since Suffolk Daraisa is like 50-50, a Sveik Sveika would be a rove to say that it's Mutter. This famous machlokas between the Ramaman and the Rajba of Sveika Daraisa, Luchumra, was explained by the Pnei Yeshua to explain why do we say Sveik Sveika Lakula. Again, Reb Chaim had a third approach to Sveik Sveika. This machlokas, as explained by the Pnei Yeshua, still is very part of a vibrant discussion of Beis Medrash, and the Pnei Yoshua's Torah will, has not been forgotten, is still being learned in yeshivas, and we assume will be continued to be learned in yeshivas for many, many generations. Thank you very much, Rav Tavori. I just want to conclude with another interesting point about this whole discussion. The, the beginning of this discussion is, or the beginning of the Midrash, that takes the position that we are not happy when, when uh, our enemy, or when Rishayim fall. We're not fully happy because we're not happy that Rishayim fall. Rishayim are human beings too. Is this story in Yehoshaphat from Diveri Amim Bet Perikaf, where, where they held back their, their rejoicing and they said, they didn't say Kitov. I just want to read a little bit more from that story because I think once again we'll see that when we read the full story we see a different picture. As we said, B'nai Israel were in the time of Yehoshaphat were facing a great battle against the Ammonim and Moavim and Edomim and they got a Nevuah, a prophecy that they will be saved without even doing anything and indeed they come to the place where the battle is supposed to take place, and they see that they've already, all the enemies have been slaughtered, they've slaughtered each other, and there's nothing to do except to go through the booty. And 
and they go through the booty and they take away everything for three days. And on the fourth day, they come together in emek bracha and they and they bless God. And then the final pasuk says of the story, not the final pasuk. The final pasukim say, "Vayashuvu kol Yerushalayim." Yoshafat Barosham Lashuval Yerushalayim Besimcha Kisimcham Hashem Oivehem Vayavo Yerushalayim Bin Valimu Vechinorot Vachatsotot El Beit Hashem. After coming and seeing their enemies all dead, that they didn't even have to fight against them, the, the, the Navi in Divrei Amim says, Then they returned every man of Yehuda and Yerushalayim and Yehoshaphat at their head to go back to Yerushalayim with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. And they came to Yerushalayim with lutes and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord, etc. It doesn't sound like they really held back from rejoicing. It sounds like they rejoiced and God made them rejoice. Um, there is a machloket here in the Midrashim. I will not deny it. But I will go back and say again that it is my firm belief that as human beings... We are happy when our enemies are destroyed. And God, who is interested in seeing good come out of the world, is happy when evil is rooted out of the world. And I think there's a strong school of thought to, to show that this idea that God is not happy at the destruction of Rishayim is not an agreed-upon idea at all and something that we should take uh, upon ourselves to look into more deeply. And we should... In general, try to look into ideas that we take for granted a little bit more deeply before we draw conclusions that may or not be correct. And on that note, Shabbat Shalom, and thank you for listening to the Arab Shabbat program.